I'm Sinead O'Moore and you're listening to Every Mum the Podcast, supported by Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, made with only two ingredients, 99.9% purified water and a drop of fruit extract. From fertility to birth to taking care of ourselves, here we talk to women about their own unique experiences of motherhood. The insane joy and the anxious defeat, the love, the laughs, the tears, and the moments that we don't talk enough about. This season is supported by one of the most essential products for every mum. From that first nappy change to those messy winning months, water wipes. Winners of seven National Parenting Product Awards 2021, including Best Baby Wipes, water wipes are proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, making them ideal to help protect and gently cleanse sensitive skin. As the number one baby wipe in Ireland, together we are committed to providing more support for parents with trusted products and this podcast. In this very special episode, I am joined by a mother of two, Danielle Cullinan, to talk about angel man syndrome, a very rare genetic disorder that her eldest daughter, Clara, was born with. As a first time mum, when Clara was born, Danielle had nothing to compare her new life to. Sure, she knew that babies cried, that breastfeeding could be hard to establish, and that sleep wasn't guaranteed. But her biggest lesson was that a mother's instinct is rarely wrong. Danielle knew something was not right with her baby girl and in this episode takes us on an extraordinary journey to a diagnosis, to connecting with other families who have a child with Angelman syndrome, how she and her husband both found different coping strategies and their decision to have another baby. We also talk about the realities of a severely disabled child in a society that isn't built to support them. From being told that Clara could no longer attend creche to the chance that there might not be a school place for her either, This episode shines a light on how a young family are trying to work, parent, love and seem to have to fight for what Clara needs at every turn. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me on Every Mum, the podcast, season eight, which is a bit weird to say. Um, I have asked you on because I'm not even sure how I came across your account, but we connected at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, you have daughters similar ages to mine and yeah. you um, have a very different story. And your daughter has a syndrome, which we'll talk to us all about today, but I had never heard before. And I felt like more of us do need to know about this. And also we need more representative voices on this podcast. It's supposed to be for every mum and it's voices for every mum. And I'm just so grateful that you agreed to come today and share your experience. Yeah, thank you so much, Sinead, for having me on. Um, it's on, honestly, I'm honoured. And as we were just talking there before uh, we came live, I have listened to your podcast so much. <laughs> Um, some episodes even twice as I was just saying um, I would go back to a specific topic if it was up in my mind and I would you know go back to that episode and honestly I just love your podcast and they've been just so helpful to me throughout my my the last four years really since having my my first girl. <laughs> I love hearing that though because like that was the whole intention I suppose was to have as you said 
when we're going through something, not every episode is appropriate for like where you're at now, but yeah. there'll be one in the bank somewhere yes. for whatever it is you're going through. And like that, I revisit conversations I've had. I've learned something from every single conversation I've had. Yeah. I just think like we're all so connected in some ways, yet every experience is different. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like that, you know, I would listen to them when they come out each week. And then I would have that in my mind to, you know, whenever I actually experience that, whatever, you know, topic may be, I would go and revisit and like that. I listen to it on my walk. I just, it's just brilliant. So thank you so much. Tell me about Clara. Yeah, so Clara is um, just gone four years old. So as we were saying, similar ages to to your girl. So she is my oldest girl. Um, And Clara is honestly a little ray of sunshine. She brings so much joy to my life. Um, She is so happy all the time, always has a smile on her face. And I suppose that is one thing that is good about her condition is that usually people with Angelman syndrome um have a really happy demeanor um so Clara was diagnosed with Angelman syndrome when she was just probably three and a half four months old so very young um considering you know usually people will get diagnosed much later uh throughout their you know the the process um Angelman syndrome is a rare neurogenetic condition um which is caused by a mutation in one of her genes on one of her chromosomes, so chromosome 15. And um, obviously I'd never heard of this condition before, you know, um, when Clara was diagnosed, but how it um, presents in Clara is that there is, you know, Clara has, she's nonverbal, um, there, she's no speech. Um, Clara cannot walk, you know, um, she has feeding difficulty. So she's peg fed, so a feeding tube for some fluids. Um, and yeah, sleeping difficulties and the main thing would be seizures as well. So she would get, so she would present with, with seizures. Um, and so, but despite all that, you know, she is just such, honestly, the most pure person I know. She's just, you walk into a room and Clara is there and she just radiates energy and love and it's sad because she doesn't ask for anything you know she doesn't want for anything she just wants your your love and attention that's all she wants you know and um you just always feel like you you can't do enough for her you know um but you know she she's just honestly she's just brilliant and she's just I wouldn't be without her you know and she's just really yeah just brought brought a different kind of dimension to my life that I never anticipated obviously um you know (laughs) before before you know you don't anticipate that you're going to you know be part of this life um but I suppose we you know looking back you know we learned very early on that you know there would be a lot of challenges with the condition um but again each person with Angelman syndrome presents in different ways you know some were maybe a bit more ahead than others um Clara's gene is deleted so she has no functioning copy of that gene where in some individuals Angelman syndrome it's just mutated so they may have some functioning and they may walk um but so far you know Clara you know she doesn't even crawl she's only recently learned to sit up which was a big milestone for her and it was celebrated you know severely but 
um yeah it's she's just honestly she's just a ray of sunshine for us like really were there any clues in pregnancy or at the scans or even the moment of birth yeah so I it was a surprise pregnancy for us <laughs> um I, I didn't know I was pregnant and luckily I had a lovely pregnancy I actually loved being pregnant <laughs> I loved it like no issues um I was 27 at the time so you know considered a young healthy mom you know um fit didn't smoke so in the eyes of the hospital I was you know flying it um no scan showed showed up anything you know um it went very smoothly um and so it was midwife led that I went and um obviously during the delivery um as most first moms you know your the delivery is traumatic you know to, to say the least but it was a natural delivery and um as I said it was midwife led and I remember like that it was you know midwives in the room and then all of a sudden you know 11 doctors in the room it, so oh, wow. it was she kind of struggled to come out um during the delivery um and she was whisked off for you know a few moments afterwards just to clear her up so she wasn't put on my chest like let's say maybe my other daughter Alana was so what would be normal you know um but again no red flags at that point um we were kept in an extra day in the hospital just to monitor her she'd like um kind of a blue hue around her mouth um, but again, no red flags, really, like we were discharged then and sent home. And as you know, you know, your first child, you don't have a clue what you're doing, you know, and I was um, breastfeeding. I was trying to breastfeed and, you know, everything is new. So it's you've nothing to compare it to. And I know I've talked to other parents who may, you know, might have a, a child with disability as their second child. So you may kind of, you know, you, you have that comparison there, you know, but I didn't, you know, so everything was new to me anyway. Um, not many of my friends had kids at that point. So it was kind of just a new, a new journey for us um, at the beginning. But I do know <clears throat> Clara was a difficult baby, like, but like most, you know, you don't have to have a condition or a syndrome to, to be a difficult baby. Um, so she was she was a difficult baby it was very hard to get her to breastfeed her latch was very poor again I got seen to by you know lactation consultants and they yeah. said you know well your milk supply is good here um you know her latch seems a bit unusual but again nothing flagged at that point um and then as well you know as the weeks were moving on she wasn't fixing and following as such so you're like a baby might look into your eyes you know even as small as they are but Clara didn't you know so she kind of may look off in the distance and she had um, a slight turn in her eye called strabismus but again that's normal in a lot of kids and you know they usually grow out of it or sometimes you know they may need glasses or whatever the case may be um but again at that point no red flags really but I had from around a month maybe nearly two months I had a, a deep kind of concern that there was something wrong um Clara would have these kind of little jerky movements of her hands kind of little twitches let's just say and again you know I flagged this and people were like oh babies have kind of you know jittery movements you know their nerves are just developing and and so um I you know had mentioned I actually initially thought 
obviously a mother's instinct you know and I've listened you know in previous uh, conversations that you've had of different things you know it is so true you know I knew so early on that there was just something not right um and even though I was a first-time mom but and I remember saying it to my my husband and my mom and I say they just thought I was just being I don't know (laughs) you know going crazy or something they were like yeah like she's perfect you know there's nothing that you need to worry you know the doctors haven't said anything you know she's fine and I was like no I just know something's not right and I actually convinced myself that she had like cerebral palsy um that was the thing that I had come to the conclusion in my head um because like that I was like she had blew around her mouth you know and that's depriving of oxygen was there some brain damage done during the delivery um so I had just and I obviously Dr Google (laughs) googling you know I had followed you know different moms on Instagram Facebook that had kids you know and different stories you know that of um you know young kids that had cerebral palsy and this is what I convinced myself of and I remember those early days and John would come home from work and I would just be crying I would just be crying so upset and I just knew that something was wrong um again as I mentioned Clara had uh, feeding difficulties so I was breastfeeding at the time and it would take hours for the feeds like I mean hours like she just it was like cluster feeding on steroids there was just no end and um she was then losing weight as well but again I was producing enough milk so it was kind of hard to know so then I was pumping and that, you know, it was between the pumping and giving her the milk, breastfeeding milk in the, the bottle. And then um, I introduced formula because I was so concerned with her weight, you know, in the start, you know, that's, that's your main concern. about just, you know, hopefully they're gaining weight. So I was making sure that she was getting enough. But in terms, she would get these really bad cramps. Now, I, she was never diagnosed with reflux or anything like that or colic, but she would be screaming like she she would be in such pain, like her stomach would be, you know, flaring up. And I think it was because her soak was so bad and she was maybe taking in a lot of air or something. I don't really know, but she was, she would cry all the time, um, never sleep. Like, again, like it was just very cyclical. <laughs> like, you know, you're in the trenches really at the start. But it came to a point that I just said, look, I just want to get her checked out at this point because I'm, I'm going crazy. And I'm, I was just really upset at home all the time. Um, uh, being a new mom in general you know can be very isolating you're you know when your husband goes back to work it's a it's a, you know a scary time for any mom and if you suspect something is wrong you know you can drive yourself crazy so um I made an appointment with when her. you're on your own all day you, you can yeah. really read into every single thing and and yeah. as you said it's because it's so isolating plus that maternal instinct like yeah. we are observing things so much oh. at a deeper level than anyone around us um, yeah but sure. it can get into our minds and then it's very very difficult to shake out of that but what you're describing there like yeah, for the... any new mother bringing a baby home and having any of those experiences like I know it I know that feeling yeah but the you know to add on as you said because this is your first so you don't have that comparison. You don't yep. know, are you going crazy? You don't have that benchmark of what's normal. Yeah. So how were you greeted when you were finally, when you finally verbalized, you're like, I have to get like a medical expert to check this out, please. Yeah. So I really only voiced my concerns initially, like I said, to my husband and my mom. And I think 
they may have thought I don't know at the time was I going through some sort of postnatal depression or something I don't know because I was just so you know consumed with this um and then they were like look just go get it checked out so I went to the GP and he actually was like no like she seems fine you know these hand movements are fine and I said look I voiced my concern about the cerebral the cerebral palsy um the blue lips and he was like look okay I'll give you a referral letter for A&E um we'll go you'll go in and get her checked out um so I remember so clearly I left left the doctors that day and drove into Crumlin um A&E and obviously you know yourself you're you're in there for <laughs> a long time mm. um and we eventually got seen to by a registrar um who was on call and very actually dismissive initially she just gave Clara a check and said look she seems really healthy again the main thing is that they look at weight Clara because I was feeding her to the to no end she had gained weight and I know usually underweight um you know babies that's red flag for anyone her weight is fine there's you know she seems fine here I had read the referral letter that the doctor had given me to bring into A&E um, which was sealed but I opened it up and you know, wanted to see why he said I'm so like I'm very inquisitive it's like your that. baby Sorry, yeah it's your, it's baby. your baby exactly I was like what has been said and I, I then said I was like look I read the referral letter and they said that a brain MRI would be advised you know to happen and um they said well look the waiting list for an MRI you know who knows when it will be I said the only other thing is that we can admit you into Crumlin and you can you know stay and we can see you know um you know we don't know how long that will take and I said John my my husband was kind of like Danielle really are we getting admitted into hospital you know for this and I said yeah 100% I was like we're 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 staying over we're being admitted I, you know I need to just set answers yeah I just need need answers and so we were admitted in Crumlin then at that point and um like that went went underwent numerous tests you know um bloods uh, the MRI um and e brain EEG to see for seizures um and actually was great because I had speech and language come in as well and they looked I flagged her feeding as well I said look you know her feeding is you know she's taken ages her latch is strange and it actually turned out that the the speech and language therapist um Sinead she was so lovely uh she actually had a child with special needs I didn't know obviously at the time but she even realized that yeah this this I've seen this before you know and she realized at that point that she had a really bad um suck due to low muscle tone around her muscles around her mouth um and the the doctor on call on the ward that we were in he was actually respiratory so but his name was Dr Costigan and honestly I'm forever grateful for him and because he had gone off and taken bloods and tested for Angelman syndrome without us actually knowing at the time um because he had recent he had um I think in the previous months had diagnosed someone and he obviously recognized the the similarities um in the condition but at this time in hospital we we didn't know that we had got the brain MRI. We were in in hospital, as I said, overall for ten days, maybe initially. Um, and again, I remember we were staying up there, and it was just it was a really tough time because we just didn't know what was wrong with her, you know. Um, and we just wanted answers. But I remember we got discharged on a Friday, and neurology came down, and they initially gave us a diagnosis of something completely different <laughs> of what I signed off on the, the the MRI. So it was called PVNH. 
um, we got handed a sheet of paper at the time and it was a much rarer condition actually. Um, I won't go into the whole science behind that condition, but when I Googled and looked into it, the condition really meant like she may have epilepsy when she's older. Um, she may have some learning difficulties like dyslexia or something like this. And we, you know, she, the neurology said, look, we don't know much about this, but you know, look, it was, there was hope there that, you know, she would live a normal kind of, you know, At least physically. Yeah, physically, you know, and intellectually, you know, she, you know, and at that point, you know, obviously we were devastated. We left hospital. We were, you know, there was something wrong, you know, at that time. No that was No matter how minor. It, no matter how minor. Wrong. Yeah, that was like obviously horrendous at the time. And we were to be linked in then with our uh, local services like Enable Ireland. And so we left and I then, you know, connected with some moms globally um, who had the condition. And I met up with actually a mom locally um and I seen her daughter she was maybe a few years older than Clara and I had such hope I was like oh you know she's walking and you know these sorts of things um and so then so that was we dealt when we were coming to terms with that diagnosis and then one morning I was leaving the house I had Clara uh, in the carrier in front of me I remember so clearly and I was actually going to post a referral letter for Enable Ireland. So it was quite soon after hospital, a few maybe around a week or two later. And I had a letter in the, the door from Crumlin and it basically stated, um, I'm writing to confirm Clara's diagnosis of Angelman syndrome. And this letter was obviously not meant to be sent for me. <laughs> to me, I was not meant to hear that her diagnosis, you know, that diagnosis like that like this was pre-covid you know yeah in a post box alone Clara on my chest you know if you google Angelman syndrome I mean it, it doesn't look good like you know it's they you know people with Angelman syndrome need lifelong care you know they they don't they can't live in a normal life per se you know um and I just remember completely breaking down at that point it, it was like Honestly, Sinead, it was like all my dreams and hopes that I had, you know, as soon as you take a pregnancy test mm -hmm. and you get a positive, as you know, you have, you know, sent your child to college, <laughs> you know, they're getting married. You're sitting at the wedding. <laughs> yeah, sitting at the wedding. I'm, you know, the dreams are there, you know, and they were just all shattered at that point. And it was like, it was nearly like a death had happened. Like I was mourning all the things that would never happen for her. Um, and I remember John, I just told John to come straight home after work. Um, and he came home and, you know, I just handed him the letter and, you know, we were inconsolable for, for many days at that point. Um, and that was a really, really tough time um, for us. I remember I would just, you know, look at Clara and I would just be, just I would just be so upset like I there was no, like I, I I just it was honestly the strangest feeling I've ever felt and the most kind of vulnerable um that I felt and I just was it was honestly just devastating you know to hear that um and, you know to share the news with my mom um who at the time as well um was actually she was diagnosed with breast cancer and she was only undergoing treatment getting surgery during when the time when Clara was in hospital so this was a tough time for her she was getting really you know and all she ever wanted was grandkids as well you know like 
and I just remember you know it was just it was so heartbreaking for everyone that this was our our new reality, reality. Yeah. yeah our new reality now and especially at the time like so she's only still four months old yeah yeah and the four month old is a four month old like yeah they're yeah. still just tiny vulnerable little dotes that it's yeah. hard to to you know look at a four month old and say that that four month old isn't doing what that four month old should yeah. because they don't do anything don't do anything they don't and do that's anything. the thing yeah at that point you know like that other than the feeding issues and um the severe lack of sleep and crying but that can happen for any you know most you know a lot of uh, new moms it was just it was it was really it was really hard to 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 absorb and to take in and especially then I was on maternity leave you know you and this is pre-covid so you anticipate you're going to be going to all the mommy and baby groups and all these kind of things and I could never really do that with Clara because Clara was a very unsettled baby anyway but then this just made me way more isolated than I would ever anticipate, you know, just hearing that. And I just felt that, you know, you were just in your own little bubble and it was very hard. You know, I remember at the time when you're pregnant, I followed a lot of people that were pregnant around the same time. And um, I remember I actually had to unfollow a lot of people at that time because as the months were progressing, it was clear, you know, they were clapping their hands, they were doing these things and like Clara just wasn't. And I knew she would never, it, you know, it, it, this wasn't just, ah, she's a bit delayed. You know, this is, this was actually and the case with, that, you know, she made. With each one, it's like, it triggers that feeling of like, well, this is the first time that she's missing that milestone and now this yeah. one and now this one. And this is the beginning of a lifelong, yeah, like forever, way with which she's going to live did you yeah what at what point were you brought like in to have a formal conversation around this so not really like, did the you doctor. ring them when you got the letter were you like is this the yeah. wrong address is this the wrong yes. patient yes yeah I so unfortunate so it actually is just really crazy so the doctor that was who tested Clara for that Dr Koskin actually when we got discharged he actually, had, I think, had a stroke or something, and then he's retired. So he actually never came back to work in Crumlin after that. So someone took over from him, <clears throat> a different consultant. Um, and this is how the error happened. And he rang me then, the consultant, and apologised that it was admin error. Um, and we were then brought in to see neurology then at that point. But again, it wasn't soon after. You, We were just given this diagnosis, and it was just... Off you go. You go, like, off you go. <laughs> Um, and you know, luckily we did get the diagnosis early because I know for a lot of parents, you have to be referred to a geneticist and you have to get genetic testing and that, that waiting list is months, you know, so a lot of people go on without a diagnosis for months. And I mean, that will be much worse to be honest, because, you know, you just don't know where you are, you know, um, we're getting that early diagnosis allowed me to become a part of the community, you know, within Angelman syndrome. I'm, you know, as soon as I, I got the diagnosis, I was on, I was on my laptop profoundly um, researching, you know, clinical trials, you know, what is, what is out there? Who, who can I connect with? And luckily Angelman syndrome have a wonderful community of amazing women, mothers, husbands, family members, 
who have actually so it's there's a you know a foundation um in america mainly stems from america um and australia you know have a really good presence as well but um i got linked in with all of those amazing women so found uh, it's fast so it's um the foundation of angelman syndrome therapeutics and it's a really well established um charity run basically it's funded through charity essentially um via clinical trials alternative therapies um and for me that was that was my saving grace early on connecting with these people and I don't use Facebook much but for me Facebook is really good for that source like if you have any any condition any ailment you can go on Facebook search that and you'll find you'll find a group and you can become a part of that group and for me that was that was a lifesaver for me um John my husband at the start he had a different approach he kind of didn't like I was like tell me everything <laughs> tell me everything that I need to know about this um you know even looking at older people with Angelman syndrome what did that look like where John was much more look I just want to process it in the day and the now he didn't want to look too much ahead at that point in the early days so we definitely um it was took the news differently and process it differently um you know, I was just more information, information, and maybe too much, you know, I'd be coming out this, you know, and that, and mm. he'd be like, oh, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to hear all this now, but. And every uh, single, like, person will experience it differently, so it's important to get to know your little baby and what she's going to go through. Yeah, that's the thing, and you, yeah, that's, he just wanted to kind of have the day and now, which is completely understandable, um, and yeah, like that, we, we processed it really differently, but we actually, in so we got diagnosed in the, the August and in that November we actually so fast um they do a like a gala every year um and at that you know everyone does fundraising we have speakers from you know people you know really exciting clinical trial updates and they're very early on but still you know it's yeah. great to hear this and new therapies you know to help with walking and uh, communication devices you know um and actually Colin Farrell uh, only some people may know of the condition because Colin Farrell his older son has Angelman syndrome um so he actually attends and really supports all the galas and has a really good presence within that community as well um and that was that was amazing for us to go to that and be around similar people who actually have gone through what we have gone through that may be at different stages and I think for John that was it was actually a turning point for him that he realized we're not alone there is normal people you know just living their life and that this has happened to them you know um and we learned a lot of that first gala and I think that was a changing point for us in terms of feeling like we had our tribe um we had our community to to just yeah just be completely honest with each other tell each other when we're having bad days and they would get it like you know um because unfortunately until you're in this world and before this I would never have had any insight um you know my sister or my, my mom had a sister with down syndrome um so that was my my only kind of experience with any you know anyone with special needs um but until you're in it it's it, you just cannot understand the level of 
isolation that you feel, you know. Um, so for us, that was a real, a real turning point, getting that connection with the people and finding your finding your tribe, you know. So um, we came out of that with a whole new perspective and, you know, kind of a lifeline, you know. Um, and they do talk of a cure for Angelman syndrome um via gene therapy you know and enzyme replacement therapies whether that will ever happen in Clara's lifetime I mean look you have to have hope and I do have hope but um you know I suppose it is a long way off as well you know but for us if we were able to get Clara to walk I mean that would be huge for us like if Clara could walk or even take weight on her feet that would be that would be huge um because like that at the moment Clara's getting bigger <laughs> and she's getting heavier you know and she it's kind of like Clara she takes all her weight on you you know she's it's like you're picking up a really really heavy baby <laughs> you know like um my other daughter Alana pick her up she'll wrap around you you know like a koala bear where Clara knows she's like kind of just a dead weight as such you know so um yeah it, it, it can be hard and you know the future you know who knows what the future will bring but we I do have hope that she will walk one day and you know that's that's her that's my main <laughs> my main goal for her um you know we once thought she would never sit and she began sitting a few months ago and that has opened so I mean it's something so small like my other daughter Alana was sitting at like four months you know and something that you would take for granted you know these are just things that happen you know for people they they reach these milestones you know um for Clara like that it was hard when my four-month-old was sitting and Clara was still there lying on the floor um we're now with Clara sitting it gives her a whole new view of the world you know she's able to sit up and interact I mean it's just something so small but something that was so big for us you know <laughs> that must have been a really wonderful but also concerning time when you're pregnant with your second you know for anyone that has had any trauma related to their first whether yeah. it was birth or thereafter whether there was a diagnosis something as small as just you know something in the first few days after birth going wrong it stays with you that you're like really concerned it'll repeat itself yeah oh my god I was so we I we were trying for a second with Alana and I really wanted someone close and close enough in age to Clara because I wanted someone that would support her be her friend you know and have someone close in age um to her was really important to me and I remember you know we were trying we, we got pregnant and before we got pregnant, I actually wanted to get myself and John tested genetically. Um, that was a whole, <laughs> a whole different <laughs> story, but we, we got our bloods taken. And um, I remember we went in to see our consultant pediatrician on the Christmas of whenever that was a few years ago. And she had said, yeah, your results are in. Um, you know, you don't carry the gene. We left, we were like, happy days. This is the best Christmas present. Um, so now we were like, okay, we're free to kind of start trying now, you know, um, and in Angelman syndrome, uh, the statistics is that it's more, more than likely just a random thing that happens during conception. It's not usually passed on, but there is around a 30% chance that it could be passed on um, genetically. But we got that news and we were like, great. And we ended up actually 
being back in hospital with Clara for seizures a few months later. And I remember, I don't know why, but I asked the consultant, can I have a look at those results? I just want to make sure that the right tests were done. Like I have a science background and I just, I I had been researching so much into different tests and if some other tests aren't done, it could be, you know, flagged in a different way. So I said, oh, I just want to have a look at those results if that's okay. And um, she came back and she said, oh, your bloods were never tested. And I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah, I was like, you told me in December that the results came back and they were they were normal. Uh, We weren't carriers. And she said, no, no, they were never tested. I, you know, don't recall this or whatever. And I, I mean, honestly, I was Jesus Christ. I was distraught. I was like, I mean, I don't want to call you a liar, but I mean, I was like, I vaguely remember. I vividly remember that you, you know, you told us this and. Long story short, long story short, she said that the lab, they, she does remember actually getting tested and she said the lab wouldn't test them for some reason. I was like, but it's, there's a chance that we are carriers. So the, long story short, it was just very strange. We then had to go see a geneticist. Our bloods weren't tested at that point, apparently, even though she gave us results, it was all very strange. And we went to see the geneticist, which again was a wait, I remember, ringing his receptionist being like look we want to have another baby I need to get these tested you know and we have to go through this long drawn process why can't we not just get our blood tested why are the lab refusing to test them and it was so strange um anyway we went to have the meeting with the consultant and he I mean honestly (laughs) I'd been warned about 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 this particular consultant before that you know they can be very harsh he you know he was like you do not want to have another child like Clara you know being kind of a bit crude really but um I was I I was warned so I I had this I didn't take it you know I took a bit of pinch of salt really he said under no circumstance are you to get pregnant until you get your results he's like you just don't want to have that you know and so we I was then terrified and even though the chances again are only 30 percent of it happening but he seemed to think, no, like this could be, you know, very high chance. So we got our blood. But done. also you having another child with Clara's syndrome is your decision. Yes, yes, yeah. And you love your baby. Yeah. And you would love this baby. Yes, that that is that is the thing. And and he had mentioned, you know, because there is a few people um that do have two children with Angelman syndrome. Um, some are twins. I've, you know, I know some are twins and others, um, you know are not twins but they never got the diagnosis so then they went on and had another child and they did they were carriers actually in that case and he was just like you do not want your life like this and very like dismissive and not really nice but um we got the testing done and we weren't carriers eventually <laughs> you know we came back and you know it got signed off by him but he was actually not happy that Clara's diagnosis wasn't um given by him because to him, the initial consultant doctor shouldn't have sent, sent her bloods off. But I was like, but we got the diagnosis early, which allowed me to be a part of the community. And it, it just shows you that there's so much red tape. And I feel so sorry for some parents that are going through, they, when they know that there is something wrong with their child and they're waiting for a diagnosis due to the waiting list for genetics, which are just months to a year. And then, you know, it can take ages to get a diagnosis and I think that's that would be so hard you know and I was forever thankful that our, 
or you know the bloods were taken so early on um but I, I don't think you know they were happy that it was done that way mm. so we we got the we got the clear essentially and we were got the, the go ahead to go and um I thought I was terrified I was terrified so again um to be honest Sinead because when you're in this world as well there are so many other rare conditions not just Angelman syndrome but that you can have that just is just bad luck that just it's just bad luck and that naivety of when I was first pregnant with Clara you know not you know you just don't anticipate that these things are going to happen that was completely gone with Alana I was honestly terrified um and it's a personal choice but I opted for the CVS testing um when I was 11 weeks um because I don't think and I didn't know what decision if any I would make but I just wanted to know because the not knowing it's a long road it's a it's long, a long road, road not knowing yeah it's a long road and I was I just wanted to know um and so I got the testing done and that came back um that looks for a few kind of um markers essentially and that came back you know again uh, normal but it, it's no guarantee either because they can only check for so many things you know um and then yeah I had how did a, that make you feel it was such a relief it was it was a relief that I knew I suppose as much as I could that I would have a healthy baby. Um, again, there was no guarantees, but for me, it was the fact that I, because it would have been hard if if if, a, if Alana did have a condition. You know, it would take time away from, you know, Clara, and it it would have been very difficult. And I don't know at that point. The addition of a second baby in any family is in very any difficult. Family. Yeah, exactly, and. You know the whole not the whole point of but I wanted to have Lana to support Clara you know to be there for her to be to be her her rock and her her best friend um so again tears of joy were were had you know when we got those results back um but again you know I still went through the pregnancy very you know on edge comp- definitely compared to my first you know it wasn't as blissful <laughs> as my first pregnancy and um, whatsoever um and even in the first few months after having Alana, I was watching her like a hawk, you know, <laughs> is she, you know, but luckily she, she was, she was, you know, everything was, you know, everything, her sleep was better. Everything was better. You know, it was, it, it was so much easier as most probably second babies are. I think, you know, as we've, you know, I, we've mentioned before, you know, second babies, you're used to it anyway, but it was definitely an easier journey with my second and I couldn't, I only realized then how hard it was with Clara you know when you do have that comparison I was like wow that was very very tough (laughs) a tough a tough time um and a very lonely time and you know probably the 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 hardest you know time was in the first year of Clara's life but you know since then like any grieving process you go through the different stages and you do come out the other side and you know now I'm really you know, I would like Clara is just, you know, <laughs> the most amazing person. I honestly swear, like she's just, she brightens up every room. And, you know, although I would love for her not to have this condition, you know, I'd love for her to be able to, you know, achieve all the the normal things that we, you know, have in life. But um, I wouldn't be without her. And she's such, she's made me a better person as well. You know, she's made me, 
again like even having any kids you know you just you forget about the silly things and you you learn what's important and like that even like we achieve the smallest milestones with Cara and the smallest things like even I remember when she was younger when she would reach out or look a certain direction you know when she started to fix and follow you know we were like oh my god you know like (laughs) it was just such a big achievement you know um but I think as well though having Alana and I know for you know a lot of uh, moms I've been talking to that you know do have angels as their first will say oh you know I'm afraid to have a second but for me for me it was the best best thing to ever do because with Clara it was even when my you know other people started having babies you didn't feel like you were in the same conversation you know like for example they might be like oh god you know she's running around every like they would be complaining about normal things to complain about you know like oh she's running around everywhere and I'm like I would give my left leg for Clara to be able to run around right now or oh she's won't stop talking and will do your head and I'm like if like if Clara could just say one word like I will never hear Clara say I love you mommy I will never hear her you know if she's sick she can't tell me what's wrong you know so by having Alana it it kind of allowed me into normal parenting per se and I felt then I could um be a part of, of those conversations then you know um as hard as it was you know to see Alana reaching them and Clara not it actually wasn't as hard as I initially thought it may be you know if anything I'm just like oh you know they're, they're so different and they're unique in their own way and you know I don't compare at all now you know uh, you know but I think having Alana allowed me to kind of let go of kind of comparing to other children as well you know because I have I, I had that Alana I could have be a part of those discussions you know um now I still will not give out about it. Like I'm actually probably really lenient on Alana because I'm just so like, look, she's she's healthy. Like she's, you know, she's doing everything she should be doing. And, you know, I I don't take anything for granted with her, you know. Um, but yeah, like that, the initial days with Clara of seeing someone her age was very hard. You know, we had Clara in crash initially. Um, and obviously they're all in the baby room at the start. Um, and they had, you know, decided to keep Clara in the baby room because she obviously wasn't moving on to the wobbler and the rest, um, which was really good in a way because, you know, she wasn't having kids running around and stuff. But it was it was hard then. I, me- I remember this obviously pre-COVID, you would go in and collect and you would see, you know, the room across the road would be the wobbler. And all the kids that were initially in Clara's room were mm. were then over in the wobbler room and Clara was was kind of like a big baby in the room, you know, and that I remember that that was very hard to see other kids kind of move on, move on. And, you know, Clara just wasn't, you know, um, you know, so that was that was very difficult to navigate through. Um, but again, time is time is a good healer for, for everything, you know. This podcast is just one way that every mom can support you. Another amazing way is with our free gift bag, packed full of essentials for you and baby, including free samples of water wipes, the number one wipe against nappy rash. To receive yours, just register now on everymum.ie. There's a free gift bag there waiting for every mum. But talk to me about the realities of now. As you said, she's she is getting older and the world isn't set up for people like Clara. 
no, definitely not Sinead. Like, I suppose my first uh, suppose introduction to how much of a struggle, you know, it may be for us is like that Clara was in crash and Clara was set up to go to preschool in the crash. And within that, there's supports to have an SNA and equipment. Um, so they would have extra support there. Um, and that was our plan all along, you know, that Clara would go that route. Again, Clara, there's no minding in her. She's she's brilliant. Like she, she's she's honestly just an angel. Like she genuinely is. And um, like she is peg fed, but the crash were used to that anyway, you know, so just for water, um, her fluids and medication. And again, it's very simple. It's, you don't need to be a nurse or anything, but um, I remember again one day, so I had Alana and both girls were going to the crash, obviously. And, you know, that was the plan. Myself and my husband both work full time. Um, so that was the plan and we were really looking forward to it. Clara would have this additional support come, you know, the September. And I remember one day the manager of the crash called me in and just said, oh, like, can I have a word? And basically said, we can no longer support Clara here in the crash. Um, and I just remember, I actually was bawling in front of her, to be honest, because I felt so hurt that, you know, Kresh wouldn't have her, but my other daughter was fine to stay there, you know, and it just highlighted the unfairness um, in, in that whole dynamic. And I just said, look, is there anything we can do, you know? can I pay I was even yeah. suggesting at one point can I pay for it because obviously they would only have the SNA for like four hours in the morning and then you know um for the latter four you know they would have no extra support and I was like can I pay personally for that SNA to stay on but I just wanted to have them both in crash you know this was this is the setup that we we had and again I was on to the the it's a kind of a big crash you know and I was on to the kind of Man, the higher up manager and loads of discussions and eventually like they just said like no essentially um what was, their, just, what was their rationale well their rationale was health and safety and I suppose you cannot argue with that in essentially even though I know that's not true Clara doesn't run around you know her condition is not I know some you know kids who have disabilities intellectual disabilities and if they can walk it can be really hard to manage because they're you know it, can, it may be a bit more of a danger risk because they can kind of be going off but I was like Clara you've never flagged any health and safety concern to me before with Clara if anything she'll have additional support I, I didn't understand it personally um but it was something that I just had to come to terms with and I suppose come up with a new solution for us um what and so that's the new solution yeah, so we, we end up getting Clara into a special needs preschool, which they are a godsend. They're amazing. Like, honestly, I cannot sing their praises enough. They're just beautiful people. And the Clara loves it in there so much. There's only around like three or four people in her class, but they're they're amazing. Um, but that only covers three hours in the morning. Again, our society isn't set up for parents with special needs to be both working. Because I had got in contact with, you know, loads of you know, Department of Education, Department of Childcare, you know, all these government bodies and um, kind of like what support is there? What what can I do? I can't get Clara into another crash. Um, and 
I can't get, we, we had joined the, the apps to get the minders, you know, the nannies and all the rest. Clara could not go to a childminder's house because she needs equipment. You know, we can't be putting equipment in a childminder's house. So the only other option was to have a nanny in our house. Um, but again, it's so hard to find. So again, we were we were looking, but not finding anything. And um, again, you know, some people may not want to care for a child with special needs as well. You know, the, this is reality and there's just no support there. And I was talking to, you know, loads of different people and they said, yeah, unfortunately, there's just no support. There's no extra support given that crashes can take on children with additional needs. Um, and so you're just expected to what, give up your job. You know, a lot of people cannot do that, like, you know, financially. And so we were lucky enough to find a, child, a nanny to come to our house. Um, and with the help, actually, I must say, of my mom, who has been, again, a godsend. You know, she stepped in so many times for us. But again, not a lot of people have that. Not a lot of people have the support of their mom close by. Um, or they may not be able, you know, enough to, to lift Clara. You know, she's quite heavy. Um, I'm just so lucky that my mom was there for us through loads of difficult times when we needed her. But um, so we we do have a nanny now. Now our first nanny left us <laughs> um, after a few months, um, but we've now found, found another nanny and it seems to be working well. But again, that meant that I had to take Alana out of crash, which I did not want because I wanted her to be in the crash. I know some people don't like that, but I wanted her to be in, interacting, developing that immune system interacting with her kids her age um that that's what I wanted for for Alana but um unfortunately financially you, could, you can't have one in crash and a, a nanny at home it would just I mean there'd be no point in working then um so I had to pull Alana from from crash also and so you know she's at home uh during during the day with, with Clara um so that that was that was our first kind of I suppose introduction to how hard things may be and how Clara may be kind of discriminated against in our normal society um and I suppose you know we're now looking at school you know um school places and school I, I really I've been researching a lot into this the last few weeks and there's really only three schools that Clara can go to nearby um that cater for severe profound uh, intellectual disability and I've been looking at their intake, let's say, from the last two years. And Sinead, I was honestly gobsmacked about, I, I honestly cannot tell you. Like they had, like, for example, one school had 17 applicants in the, that category and they only accepted two. And the other, other children are put on waiting list and, you know, you're given home tuition support grants, which is not acceptable for Clara's condition. She, like... She needs to be out interacting, having fun, you know, having a sense of normality. Um, and I've been on to, again, Department of Education, I've been on to a lot of people the last few weeks on this. And I know it's it's not for until next year, but we have to apply this year. And I just silly assumed that this would be just something that, like every child is entitled to a school place. You know, why would Clara be any different? But the harsh reality is that the resources are not there for for that for you know I mean we may be lucky Clara may get in it depends on what's available that year but looking at the last two years for those three schools that are nearby you know well in Kildare let's say um there's it's looking very unlikely you know that she may get in you know which 
breaks my heart because I mean school should be just a given right for every child to go to you know um and I, I honestly was just shocked and I'm like where can I go like who can I who can I kind of I feel so powerless you think feel so powerless and I'm like what can I do and there's nothing you can do you just apply when it comes up and you know cross your fingers you know and hope for the best but, but it's like a constant lifetime of having to advocate and fight for her yeah that that's it and like as I said Clara is non-verbal um she will most likely always be non-verbal and particularly will... if she doesn't get the support that she needs of course yeah. she will like yes exactly and the support and when you look at I mean I try not to compare but when you look at the services that people get in America Australia even England we're so far behind you know even in terms of therapy for example like Clara gets therapy maybe like physical therapy at once every month if even um you know people in the states are getting it you know they have their calendars booked like a few times a week with different therapies that, that will come out to the schools will come out to the preschools um and unfortunately those resources are not there for for Clara for people with any disability you know um yeah it's it's beyond belief how 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 chalk and cheese it is and like I said when we used to go to those um galas and you'd see all the different innovative therapies you know that were that's all in America that's not here that's you know so you're nearly like oh it's it's just crazy don't show it to me if I can't don't show it. it yeah 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 so it's you know it yeah, it, it, it will be a lifelong kind of, not battle, but, you know, for us and for Clara to, I suppose, try and fight for what she deserves, what she needs. Um, and all you can do is just, yeah, you can just try your best and, you know, try and advocate as much as you can, you know, because you're, you're her mom and even my, my, my husband, you know, we do the best we can. But again, until the government and you know different people step step up and provide those resources there you know it's not going to change you know um so we'll see we'll see with the school situation anyway so I don't know I've 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 yeah taken a hard hit on that one in the last few weeks because that will be a new challenge you know in the next months but we'll see you say she's non-verbal but how does she communicate with you so yeah, Clara, as I said, is nonverbal. Um, some kids with Angelman syndrome, um, maybe a bit less severe than Clara, can communicate via devices, you know, um, kind of these alternative communication and um, like pictures and stuff like that. Um, Clara isn't isn't at that stage yet. Again, you know, hopefully in the future. Um, but now Clara's communication is honestly through her eyes, through her touch. Um, not many people will you know, if, if you don't know Clara, you may not know her cues, but, you know, people that are close to her do know. Um, she'll reach out and touch your face but, or pull your hair, <laughs> one or the other. And her eyes have just the most biggest smile. Like she smile, she has the biggest smile on her mouth anyway, but her eyes shine like they're just. You can look into her soul and, you know, Alana, like Alana is amazing in her own way, but Clara, it gives you the sense of, you can see deep into her soul or something. It's so strange. She's just so pure and just honestly a ray of sunshine. We're just, 
yeah she just communicates in by those ways really just her her visual cues you know um but again it is hard because sometimes when Clara is sick um we don't know we don't know what's wrong you know it's kind of like when you have a newborn baby you know you're kind of like okay is it the constipation is it this you know it's it's like that you know essentially but in an older child so you go through the usuals so not that it's kind of like and what's what's kind of I know worrying as well as that Clara does have a high pain threshold um so I've you know she may be in pain and we may not even know it you know so that is something again that is I'd love if she could articulate like you know even in baby they'll kind of point or you know when they get a few months they may be able to articulate in some way where Clara wouldn't you know when she's in pain it's it's very difficult to know what's wrong and I think that's another yeah that's a really hard thing to because we don't know what's what's wrong whenever she's um given out actually last night she had an allergic reaction (laughs) to to pesto we gave her pesto for the first time and she was projectile vomiting everywhere um but she didn't even give out she didn't even cry like she was just you know I'm sure her stomach was in bits you know but she didn't even give out like and it just even breaks your heart even more because you're like oh you know um she doesn't want for anything and she's just yeah she's just honestly some things like that would break your heart that she can't communicate she doesn't demand your attention Mm. as much as my two-year-old you know (laughs) um you know but yeah it's I suppose yeah a lot of navigating and you know maybe one day she will be able to communicate via these you know new innovative tools and technologies um again it's just getting the resources there to be able to support her in in achieving those goals but she's so lucky to have you she's so lucky to have her little sister um, yeah but that you're you know you're fighting for her and you're not going to stop I, I wish to god you didn't have to I feel like as a mom with two daughters of similar ages like my plate is full and <laughs> I'm I have a school place yeah you know it was really difficult for me to get crash yeah my children are healthy like it's so unfair. It's it's hard enough yeah. when things are right. You should be afforded every kindness, every generosity, every support when something is wrong. And it feels like actually the opposite occurs. Yeah, yeah, and it, it feels like, you know, one parent just has to give up work. That is just the way it feels like, you know, because although we have a nanny now, when Clara goes to school, you know who is going to support you know because jobs are nine to five you know who's going to support through the, the hours after school you know we can't just get a babysitter we can't just you know it's very hard and it's kind of set up that you know one parent just has to give up work which it's just not you just cannot do that in today's today's society and carers you know for even carers for older people carers for any you know children who decide to to go on carers leave they're not rewarded enough as well you know the support isn't there for them um so that's another thing you know that we have to navigate through is through you know with work you know what does the future look like for us with work um you know at the moment you know I work from home John you know he has a flexible enough job and we make it work but that may not always be the case and we have to now look at alternative options to what may allow us have an even more flexible job arrangement, you know, upskilling in different areas to enable us to maybe have a different, you know, path. 
Um, and that's just something that we really have to think about, you know, um, along with, you know, we have we're, we live in a, a, a semi-detached four bedroom house, um, two story. But again, Clara cannot walk. We have to know where what are we going to do next steps in terms of moving? You know, all this, you need two jobs to be, especially in this day and age, the houses are crazy or to do anything, any sort of extension, you know, you need two incomes for these sort of things. And it's like um, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Yeah, like you have to keep working to afford this life. Yes, and yes, yeah. you can't have anybody to help you to do the, the job of working. Yeah, that's that is, that is the truth. And like that, my mom does help out but you know she's getting older. Clara's getting older. Mm. Clara's going to be more difficult just by the size of her as she grows. She's already very tall. Um, so you know my mom may not be able to help out as much. You know we may not be able to rely on that support. And not everyone has that. You know who is in this situation. So that is the main thing as well. And I know some parents who don't have that, and it's been a struggle for them. They've they've really struggled. You know if you don't have that extra support there you know and that's one of the reasons why you know sometimes I'm like oh would we move to America you know the the services there for her would be great but we wouldn't have the family support then which is so important um really and truly and like my family absolutely like adore Clara like and they you know I'm so lucky that I do have that support but if you don't have that it's it it can be very very isolating and and you feel very alone as I said, I'd never heard of it until um, I came across your page and your girls. And I just think that we need to be more conscious and aware of the different experiences that are happening, the different challenges that are deep realities for families in Ireland. I think that there is great awareness for certain types of special needs. Yeah. But it is far reaching and it is often even the, the more rare that are yeah. left in the dark and not, you know, you know, celebrated enough or given the support enough or there isn't enough social understanding of what's going on for Clara. Yeah. And I think as she grows up, how like we need to live, we need to create a world that knows what's going, what's going on for her and learn how to accept her and learn how to facilitate a world that welcomes her and children with all sorts of special needs. Um, yeah that, that that's totally it Sinead it's it's so important to like that it's not just Angelman syndrome it's every other you know where condition or where the child has profound severe disabilities mm-hmm. where they cannot advocate where they're they may never have a job they may never be accepted into community the way some like you said some conditions are which is great but I think we're, we are a long way to go with the with the children and, and adults with severe and profound disabilities and it's just trying to raise that awareness trying to get that support and I suppose you know again just doing this podcast knowing that you know people are not alone when you're going through this and you know this you know I suppose the best support for me was the, the Facebook groups you know getting getting in contact with other moms in similar situations um Jack and Jill have also been amazing there you know the Jack and Jill charity and we have a nurse and she's great she comes and really just to keep you know what's kind of kind of allowed me to kind of go through this and I suppose to I suppose even uh, so that it hasn't impacted our relationship so so much as to allow yourself to have those date nights Mm -hmm. you know we've really had to 
put a lot of effort in into that you know and to make time for each other and to make time alone you know going for walks doing your exercise because that really got us through as well the first year or two as as you've uh even you know what, what you were saying recently you know doing something for you within the day you know being kind to yourself just one tiny thing one time yeah it's so <laughs> That's important all. That's all. Just one. yeah just one and it's it's so important and I think especially if you have either a sick child or a child with you know severe needs you need to make you need to make a conscious effort effort to 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 do that because you know a lot of people with special needs uh, their parents you know divorce is quite high because you don't get to maybe go to that wedding together because you don't have anyone to look after the child you know it's not that easy the, the pressure builds up and you're your only person to take it out on too yeah that's that's yeah that's it yeah and so and that's the same in newborn yeah same with healthy new- children like it's just yeah. it's just yeah. the two of you in this in this trench and yes yeah and you're you're everything to each other like we're I mean honestly we're everything to each other and it's um but also try- the person you take it out on yes exactly and it's you know you may have different like especially at the start we different ways of dealing with it you know um but you have to allow each other that space and just to for us it was kind of just you know you go and do your exercise I'll go and do mine you know trying to just yeah really kind of just try and make time for those date nights and stuff which is it is hard but you know even date nights at home you know as we all did during covid um when you get an hour or so like have been really crucial in making sure that we kind of don't put you know we're not pulled apart we're kind of in it together and we you know we're stronger for it um but I know in some cases it can go the opposite way and that can be hard you know because you really need each other like you do you know it's you do need each other a lot more than even when you have you know neurotypical kids because you're you're really each other's core support you know um and you're the only one that really understands what you're going through so it's yeah it's my advice would be just to try and make that time some wise advice some wise advice you're so right and and wise advice I think for whatever partnership that we're in um I know I'm certainly guilty of not looking after me enough and therefore like resentments when your partner's looking after themselves and you're like well yeah. no that's on me to I I still need to put the time in to look after me and only then when we're both kind of if our cups are that little yeah. bit filled then our cups combined yeah. can care for each other um I wish I wish I wish you had so much more support you deserve so much more support but as I said I think Clara is just so so fortunate to have you backing her bashing down those doors, shouting loud about Angelman syndrome, educating us all, celebrating the sunshine in her. She looks like such a magical little girl. Um, You're doing such a brilliant job. And thank you for your time today. Thank you for taking us back to day one and everything that has come in your motherhood journey. As I said at the beginning, everyone's experience is so different and unique and all deserve to be heard. Um, and I'm just so grateful that you could join us today. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sinead. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening and to Water Wipes, the world's purest baby wipes, for their support. 
proven to be purer than cotton wool and water, water wipes are made with just two ingredients and are 100% biodegradable, plastic-free and compostable wipes. So you can do what's best for your baby's skin and help protect the planet. If you enjoyed this conversation, subscribe, rate or leave a review. Share this episode across social and get in touch with this week's guest at Danny Darling X on Instagram. <laughs>